Jesus, as we come before you, we think about, Lord, just how glorious it is to one day be with you and how wonderful it is to just think about that one day we would be in heaven and living with you eternally. But God, while we are here on this earth and living here, help us, God, to live for you, Lord. Help us to, to seek you, God, in everything we do and shine the light. And so I ask, Lord, as we dive into your word tonight, that you would speak, Lord, that you would motivate us, that you would move us, that you would stir our hearts up like never before, God. Lord, as we look to the day when you will come and take us home, Lord, Lord, right now we know that we have to live for you, that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. So God, help us to tonight just to see that and not be caught up so much in ourselves, but that we caught up in living for you, Lord. So thank you, God. We pray you bless this word, anoint it with your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I came across some interesting cultural customs that show what country you are from. Now, if you see someone puckering their lips and using their lips to point to something like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't even do it. <laughs> they are actually from Nicaragua. I guess that's a common thing that they do when they're even you know, talking and, and, and uh, uh, conversations that they're like, look at it, you know. <laughs> at this wedding, guests culturally spit on the bride to ward off the devil. Now today it's more, they don't actually do that, but it's that sound of, tch, 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 you know, kind of thing. If you see that happening, you know they are from Greece. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of funny, I was reading, they, they also say that spitting can even be done as a superstitious measure toward off evil during a regular conversation. Can you imagine talking to someone? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, kind of thing, right? Now, most people choose to spend an afternoon at a nice park. It's culturally common, though, for these people to find these locals of this country picnicking in cemeteries. Well, if you see a family maybe doing this up at Makwal Graveyard, most likely they are citizens from Denmark. I guess the cemeteries there are really nice and kept, and they just like hang out there. <laughs> kind of different. Say you give a birthday card, and, and you've you, you written a note in there with red ink because that was the only pen you have. And you expect the receiver to be touched by, you know, the, the special thing that you wrote in a card. But instead, they're totally shocked and offended, saying, how could you? Well, if that happens to you and you happen to write with red ink, that person is probably from South Korea. You see, there's an old cultural custom that red ink was used to write down the names of dead people, like in registries and stuff. So by giving that birthday card written in red ink, is saying, you're going to die soon. Or, or I hope you die. Happy birthday, you know. <laughs> One more thing. If you suddenly hear a family maybe nearby you sucking up their Simon noodles with loud slurping sounds, guess what country they are connected to? Japan. Japan, that's right. They say, yeah, making the slurping sounds is a way to compliment the cook and show you really like that Simon or ramen, yeah. It's funny, I was reading some scientists 
I guess these noodle experts, <laughs> I thought that was funny scientists say, but noodle experts say that slurping brings air into the palate and actually enhances the noodle flavor. So see, there's some science behind it, I guess. So funny how you can tell where you are from just by the way you do things. Interesting, isn't it? Well, tonight we return to our study through Philippians and Paul writes on how believers, they actually do things differently than the world around them. And they do that because of Jesus in their life, and they do it, and it reflects that they are actually citizens of heaven. So Paul encourages believers to act like citizens, and that's the title of our message, Act Like Citizens. We're going to be studying Philippians chapter 1 from verse 27 to 30. We're going to finish off this chapter tonight. And so as citizens of heaven, we are to, we're going to see three things here. Number one, stay consistent. Number two, stand together. And number three, suffer bravely. And I'll give those to you as we go along. But let's begin here about act like citizens. Number one, stay consistent. Stay consistent. Philippians chapter one, look at verse 21. We're only going to take the first part of this verse here. Paul writes, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we'll stop right there. Right there. So we begin with this word, only. It's actually the Greek word, man, uh, man on. And it actually means alone or but only. In other words, Paul, when he comes into this verse, he's saying, let this alone. Or let this be your focus. The NLT translates this word as above all, yeah? Above all, everything else. Now, remember Paul's been writing here, and this comes after Paul just talked about how he might die as a martyr or be freed and, you know, be able to come back and see the Philippians here that he's writing to. So Paul's like, right away, he's starting this next verse, what we're looking at. Paul's saying, look, either way, whatever happens to me, you guys need to do this. That's what he means by only. So he's really emphasizing this. And what is that? Well, look what he says next. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus. So let the way you live reflect the fact that Jesus has saved you, that the gospel has come into your life and you're different now, that you've been saved by, by God. So Paul calls the Philippians to live a life that is consistent to who they are now in Jesus Christ because of what the gospel has done in coming into their life. So he calls them to stay consistent. That's our heading, stay consistent. Now, the interesting thing here is this phrase now. Look again here, verse 27 says, the phrase is manner of life. That phrase, those three words. It's actually one Greek word, Poloteuo, and it means live as a citizen. Interesting, isn't it? Now, when Paul chooses this particular Greek word, the Philippians could really relate. And let me explain this to you. See, the city of Philippi, where they live right now, where this city is located, where the church is located, the city of Philippi was considered or is a Roman colony. It's situated in Macedonia, which is our modern-day Greece now. And it's over 800 miles away from Rome. Rome was in Italy, right? So this was an actual official Roman colony. And Philippi being a Roman colony, that meant that, you know what? They ran their own government apart from 
Macedonia or that area. Uh, they upheld Roman laws. Latin was the official language, you know, in Rome. So they spoke Latin there. They dressed like Romans, not like the Greek guys or, or, or that Macedonian guys. They held to Roman customs because they're a Roman colony. And they gave total allegiance to Caesar and the empire. So this is a Roman colony, Philippi. So when Paul says, hey, live as citizens, they understand what that means. Matter of fact, this Roman colony, Philippi, was so much like the mother city back home in Italy, people called it Little Rome. Interesting, isn't it? Many of the Roman military soldiers, they would come there or different Roman colonies throughout the empire and retire, settle down there. And you can imagine then how proud, how patriotic the people of this city were to Rome. Yeah? So imagine that, Philippi, Roman colony. So everything they do is Roman, even though they're in Macedonia, even though in the, they're this, this area of Greece. Well, Paul plays on this. He plays on that word. He plays, says, says, you know, now that you guys are Christians, you know, in this Roman colony, just like that, you should live differently like they did as Romans in Macedonia. So now that you're Christians in this life, hey, like you live differently as Romans in Macedonia, live differently on this earth. So they are now to live not as citizens of Rome so much, but citizens of heaven. So this is what Paul's saying, saying your manner of life, you got to act like citizens of heaven. That's our title. So what Paul is saying is this, live your life in a way that is consistent to being a citizen of heaven. That's our point. Live your life in a way that is consistent to being a citizen of heaven. So you can see Paul saying this, right? Right here at the beginning of verse 27. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary tells the story when him and his wife were in England. And let me read to you what he, he, he shared. My wife and I were visiting in London and one day decided to go to the zoo. We boarded the bus and sat back to enjoy the ride, but it was impossible to enjoy it because the loud, coarse conversation of the passengers at the front of the bus. Unfortunately, he writes, they were Americans. And we could see the Britishers around us raising their eyebrows and shaking their heads as though to say, oh yes, they're from America. We were embarrassed, Wiersbe writes, because we knew that these people did not really represent the best of American citizens. You know, I want to tell you, this, sadly, this is true. This is so true. I mean, years ago, I remember uh, my friend who was a missionary in England, and I didn't know this, but one day he told me, you know, that not only the British, but all the Europeans hate Americans. They hate American tourists because they're so loud and they're demanding, they're critical, they're rude, they're so self-focused. They, no one likes Americans on the other side of the world. How sad, right, that they make it so Americans have a bad name, you know, over there. And how sad that they misre misrepresent you and me. I don't think, uh, none of you are like this. I know you guys. <laughs> well, Think about this too, right? Some see the same thing, many who come from the mainland to Hawaii too, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, this is what Paul's saying. Hey, you know, don't be like that, right? Live your life in a way that is consistent to being a citizen of heaven. How about you? Is your life consistent with who you say you are? 
Is it consistent to what a person who claims to believe what the gospel says? It is, it, is it consistent to what the word of God says? Listen, to live a life worthy of the gospel means to live a life that is consistent with the word of God. Now, think about this for a moment. There's nothing wrong with the Philippians being Roman citizens. That's okay, you know. But Paul's like, hey, you know, just like you're, you're, you're Romans, you know, in this, in this town, you have the culture. But, you know, you are to carry yourself now according to the word now. And, and I'm sure, you know, Paul, when he's there, he can expand on, you know, whatever customs conflict with the word and who they are now in Jesus, you know, there to live the word out, right? I mean, that, that has their priority. I was thinking about that, how I was born to parents who emigrated from Japan. I grew up with Japanese customs, eating Japanese food with chopsticks, you know, everything. My, my first language, it wasn't English, actually. It was Japanese, actually. That was my first language. Uh, funny, too, when, when I married Kristen, she learned to cook Japanese food. But, you know, I learned from her to have bread for dinner and place some rice, too. So. <laughs> but, you know, when I became a Christian, I did not just add Jesus to my culture. But Jesus became my culture. I'm a citizen of heaven now. That's my country. That's where I belong. I'm a foreigner here on this earth. I'm just passing through. You know, we're just here temporarily. And forever we're going to be in heaven. That's my home. That's my country. That's where I'm going to end up. I did not become a Japanese Christian, but a Christian who happens to be Japanese. That's what it is. And maybe you grew up a certain way, a certain custom, a certain culture. And maybe you say, well, well this is how I was taught. This is the way I do things. And, and I, I say this not to disrespect your parents or how you're raised. But understand, you have to put the word of God first. You have to put who you are in Jesus first. And so how does these things you hold on to line up with the word of God? It's not so much about your culture or upbringing, but the fact that the gospel has changed our lives. That's, that's what really Paul is putting out, that your manner of life, that you're living as citizens because the gospel has changed your life, uh, uh, that it's worthy of the gospel, that the gospel is powerful enough to, to change us. Understand what Paul is saying here is by acting like citizens, you are demonstrating the power of the gospel in your life to free you from sin, to free you from the bondage, to change your life, to be, to be totally different, to be a believer, to be like Christ. You're showing that the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ can truly save us and bring us into heaven, that we're new creations. That's the thought here. That's the idea. Act like, 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 like citizens. What is that? That's, that's to live as who you are in Jesus. So, Paul calls us to act like citizens. To stay consistent here. Let's go on to number two now. Number two is stand together. Stand together. He goes on here now. Philippians 1, verse 27. He goes on in verse 27. The rest of the verse says, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We'll stop there. 
Now, Paul continues on and he says, you know, whether I come and see you or I'm absent. In other words, you know, whether I make it there and see you guys or not. That, that's what he's saying, you know. I hope, he's saying, to hear you are all standing firm in one spirit with one mind. Now, these two words, standing firm, it means like to maintain or hold your ground regardless of any opposition or danger. So Paul is saying to, look, hold on to what, what you believe in and do your duty. You know, do what God has willed you to do. Fulfill your purpose and, and do, what God's, do fulfill God's plan in your life. But Paul also is bringing this thought into in their minds as he's writing here. Here Paul wants the Philippians to do all of that what? Together. Together. As he says, he writes, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. He's saying, hold the ground together with, with like one heart, with one soul. The idea is with one purpose when he uses these words. So the Philippians must be striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He wraps up this verse saying that. He's saying they must work together. They must work together to spread that message of Jesus. So the idea here is this. They are to make a stand for God. They are to make a stand against Satan. And they are to do this together for the sake of the gospel. So they are to stand together. And that's our heading, right? Stand together. Note this. Paul uses the Greek word uh, for standing firm. He uses this Greek word, son athleo. Son athleo. And it actually means like compete in a contest. Interesting, yeah? The Greek word is where we actually get our English word for athletics. So this kind of brings out this thought now when he's talking about, hey, you know, stand firm, you know, be together on this. Really, Paul is saying that the Philippians need to work as a team to fight that good fight for the gospel of Jesus. What, what's interesting, too, to me is that Paul is, again, using this certain Greek word about teamwork and being un in unity and being together and all of that. Because I believe the Philippians can relate to this word, too. You see, the Roman society, which actually came out of Greek society, was very community conscience. That means everything that a person did, said, or thought of was with concern for the interests of the society as a whole first. Now that's different from America, right? We're all about individualism, thinking of us and our motive first and all that. But in this culture, they were more about working together as one unit. And it was more of this uh, like team mentality. John MacArthur said this in his commentary. He wrote, The individual was subordinate to the state, and a person's skills, talents, energy, and endeavors were devoted, first of all, to the interests of society at large. And then MacArthur writes this, listen, It was not a coerced subjection, as in modern totalitarian states, but I like this, but was based on a willing sense of interdependence in which citizens took great pride. I like that. I like that word. It gives a good picture of this society, this interdependence, which means we're dependent on each other. We cannot do this alone. And that's what Paul is putting out here. He's saying teamwork is the way to stand against the enemy of the gospel. That's our point. 
Teamwork is a way to stand against the enemy of the gospel. It's together, Paul is saying. Together that we can stand firm. It's together like teamwork, like in athletics and all that. We're together in doing this for the sake of the gospel. And it's only teamwork is the way to stand against the enemy of the gospel. I was reading about a man who had several sons who were always arguing and fighting among each other. The division and disunity was hurting the family business that they were to take over eventually, in which really that, that's how, that was their livelihood for this family. The father called his sons together and handed a, a thin bamboo stick to the strongest of them and said, snap that cane. Well, the young man took the cane and went and broke it easily. Then the father took two thin bamboo sticks, tied them together, and he said, snap these. And the young man again had no difficulty. The father added another stick to which he said, break these. The young man again broke that. Again and again, the father kept adding more and more canes, and it became this bundle. And soon the son was sweating and straining to even break the sticks. And he'd get that. But then it came a point when the task was completely beyond his strength. With one bamboo, or in small bundles, the canes could be easily snapped. Yeah? But united, all the, the, the thick bundle of canes, he could not do that and had more strength than the young man could do. Well, without another word from the father, the brothers understood. They chose to love, forgive, and give grace, and now work together as a family, as a team. You know what I'm talking about. You probably heard that, you know, before anyway. But you understand, right? Together, we're stronger. Together, right, we, we can... Teamwork is a way to stand against the enemy of the gospel. So do you understand what Paul is saying here? Do you understand now what's important even for us? The church is most effective when we work as a team. The church was made to be a team, and that's how teamwork will bring victories for the kingdom. Do you understand then the strategy of the enemy, right? He wants to divide and conquer. Do you see how the enemy looks for any crack, any seam, any weakness to plant seeds yeah, in their division or drops, you know, to poison the mind? Notice, though, how this works. Paul first said to stay consistent in our walks with the Lord and how we live before God and then, because we, when we stay consistent, then we can stand together. If we don't act like citizens, then we begin to operate like the world and the flesh. Then the teamwork falls apart and we lose the battle. But when we uh, act like citizens of heaven, then the church gets stronger and we actually work more as a, a team and we won't fall apart easily. Let me put something else out there. The enemy knows that a united team is hard to go against. So, you know what he does? He gets people to unite for things that keep people from what is important. That true focus of Jesus and the gospel. And I was thinking about this, how, how we see this in the world, how, how, how the enemy can, can like, like misdirect the focus or just... Take, take people off target. And, and it's a good, it may be a good thing. It's a right thing. But it, just enough so that it hinders Christ. I was thinking about how in 
South Korea has roughly like 20% of the population is Protestant Christian. Actually, I think there, there's another 35% or more that's like Catholic or something like that. A lot of Christians. But 20% of the population is Protestant Christian. China has roughly 35 million believers belonging to the underground church. And that's not counting the state church or the three self church. In the Philippines, it's about 11% Protestant Christians. And that's not counting Catholics, which they say maybe as another 70-80%. But in Japan... Christians make up only less than 1% of the population. Why is that? Well, I was talking to someone the other day about this, the other week, and um, we were talking about this, and, and then I came across this article. It was interesting. One of the factors they call is corporatism, and that is they are a group-orientated society, kind of like I've been talking about earlier. The culture and society is built on doing things for the benefit of the group as a whole. As opposed to America, like I mentioned, you know, Japan is not focused on individualism like in, in the West, but the group corporatism, they termed it this way. So with that comes a, a challenge, right? If you become a Christian, you go against culture and society. And 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 that's difficult. You go against what the family does, or you know, you don't want to go against that, or what society does uh, all together, and you don't want to go against that. You know, you don't want to go against the nation, your culture, you know, everything that you're Japanese, you got to do this, you know. And that's why we got to cover Lane and Alco in prayer. That's why we got to pray for courage for the people, Miyako Island, the ones they're going to go witness to, because they got to break away from this group kind of mentality, go against the grain, and, and go to Jesus and receive him. Yeah, That's a huge thing. So I bring this up because sometimes that's what the enemy will do. They'll, he'll, he'll, yeah, let's group together, but then the focus will be off a little bit, and it actually ends up dividing and going against God's purposes and what he wants to do. But what gets us back on track? It's when we focus on what? What Paul says here, the gospel. The gospel. For the sake of the gospel, we stand firm together. Don't let the enemy get a foothold. He hates the gospel, so he's going to keep our focus off that. right? He doesn't like us to unite on that because we'll be like those big bundle of sticks that he can't break. So let us be one body, one church, and I'm even, I, I've been really praying a lot in past years, let us be part of even the body of churches here on Maui and focus on the gospel. All right, well, let's go on to number three now. Number three, suffer bravely. Suffer bravely. We have to act like citizens, stay consistent, stand together, and now three, suffer bravely. So the rest of the chapter here is under this section, and we begin at verse 28. Paul writes, and not frighten in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Okay, so Paul goes on and says, when opposition comes, don't be frightened. Another, uh, that word frightened means intimidated. Don't be intimidated when, when, 
when things happen, when oppositions come, when we stand together for Jesus in the gospel, the world, the enemy of the gospel, Satan, he's not going to like it, right? Um, as we act like citizens and live, live like citizens of heaven, right? Opponents are going to come up. Yeah. Like Wearsby said, uh, the Christian life is, is not a playground, but a battleground. So when that happens, though, Paul says it is a clear sign that they are not saved, the opponents. They are actually, Paul said, headed for destruction. They're doomed, really, to spend eternity in hell. But on the other hand, the opposition that comes upon you or, or, or because of your stand for the gospel is a clear sign, he says here, that you have salvation. God will, in the end, basically will take you home to be in heaven with him. So with the opposition, with all this going on, it's a clear sign that if you get opposition, you're a citizen of heaven. So there's three things we're going to be seeing in this last part of this chapter. And the first thing is what we're looking at right now. Number one is persecution for your faith shows you are saved. Persecution for your faith shows you are saved. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. It's clear. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Know that, right? When we become a Christian, we made enemies with the world, our own flesh, and the devil. But it shows that you are saved, a child of God. You belong to heaven now. Your home <laughs> is heaven. Your country is heaven now. So you know what? Understanding that, wow, we are going to suffer persecution, that we're going to get into this battle because we, we came to Christ, understanding that should help us to suffer bravely. Verse 29 now. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. Alright, so Paul adds that the Philippian believers had been granted or given, really the idea is given grace. They've been granted, they've been given grace. That's what he's saying. To not only believe and be saved, this is interesting here, but also to suffer for his sake, for the sake of Christ. Isn't that interesting? We know we're saved by God's grace, right? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But Paul's saying, also you've been granted grace to suffer persecution. That's by God's grace too. You might be going, what? What? I don't want that grace. <laughs> yeah, I like the other grace. I don't want that one. But here's the idea. Believers have been given the privilege to suffer for Him. So number two here is this. Persecution means you've been given uh, the honor and privilege to suffer for Jesus. We've been given that honor. That's grace. He doesn't give that out to anybody. Yeah. But He gave grace to us. We don't deserve, but He's given us that privilege to suffer for Jesus. Do you remember when Peter and the apostles, the apostles in Acts 5, were beaten for preaching Jesus? And it says in Acts 5.41 that they were rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now, that, I, I, that's always, I mean, I don't fully understand that either. But I'm beginning to see here how 
suffering for Jesus, persecution, is really a high and holy honor. You know why? Because it's for the Lord. We're taking hits for the Lord. We're, 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 we're standing in for Christ and we're, we're taking those hits. And, and it's a high and holy honor and privilege that we do this for him, for his work, for the gospel. Plus, after all he has done to suffer for our sins, how can we complain, right? I mean, he took the hits for our sin. He was shamed for our sin. And now that he saved us, hey, God, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to stand in front, and I'm going to be persecuted for you, Jesus. You did much more for me, but, you know, for my loyalty to you, I counted an honor to be worthy to suffer for your name. So you see, as citizens of heaven, when persecution comes, this should help us to suffer bravely. Verse 30, last verse, Paul writes, Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. All right, the final thing is that the suffering for your faith means you are engaged. The word engaged means more like experiencing. You're experiencing this, this same thing. You're, you're going through the same thing. Uh, the same conflict, Paul even writes here. The same struggles that Paul's saying, like, you saw me, that you saw me go through. And that, you know what, I'm still going through now this persecution. You're experiencing that same thing. I like how the NLT translates the first part of this last verse. It puts it, we are in this struggle together. I love that. We're, we're, we're in the same fight here. We're, we're experiencing the same thing. So all citizens of heaven experience the same thing. So we, we see here in this last section, number one, persecution for your life shows you're saved. Persecution means you've been given the honor and privilege to suffer for Jesus. And number three, persecution here in this last verse is what others are experiencing too. Persecution is what others are experiencing too. Matthew Henry said this, Christ's followers cannot expect better treatment in the world than their master had. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So we're going to suffer because Christ suffered. And you know what? His followers are going to suffer. And, and if Christ was persecuted, so will his followers. They'll be persecuted. And if those saints who went before us were persecuted, so will you and I. Satan wants to think this, that we're alone. It's only me. Yeah. We're the only ones who battle things like that. We're the only ones who, oh, when I, when I try and be Christian, then oh no, it comes on me, or people say stuff, or they attack me. But we're not. So Paul's saying, hey, suffer bravely here. You're not alone in this. It's the same thing I'm going through. So our last point is this here tonight. When you suffer persecution, it clearly shows that you are not of this world, but a citizen of heaven. That you belong to all the, all the citizens here. When you suffer persecution, it clearly shows that you are not of this world, but a citizen of heaven. You know, it's not fun to su suffer persecution. It's not fun to go through troubles and trials like that. It's, it, 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 it's, it's never fun at all but we can suffer bravely because when we suffer persecution it shows we are not of this world 
It reminds us that we're citizens of heaven. And that should motivate us. That, that, should, that should like drive us, okay, Lord, I know the truth of the gospel. I know, Jesus, what you've done in my life. I know I have a home in heaven, and I'm passing through here. People are not going to like that. They're going to fight that. But I know who I am. And, and God, if, if it means I'm going to suffer, if I'm going to take some hits for you, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. Because it's going to be for you, Jesus. I, for me, I'm thinking about this. That's what helps me now thinking. I was thinking, wow, I got to remember, I am a citizen of heaven. And so I'm not going to fit exactly. Or people not you know, in the world might not like what I stand for. Especially as the world gets darker now, it's, it's going to be more and more contrast, right? But like Christ, we follow after him. Let me read to you. Um, Amy Carmichael, she was a missionary to India, and she wrote this poem called No Scar. It goes like this. Hast thou no scar? No hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascending star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent lean me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that come past me, I swoon. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, talking about Jesus there. But thine our whole can he have followed far who has nor wound no, or nor scar. See, since our master Jesus has scars for his suffering, so will his followers. And it only shows who we belong to. I think about what Paul said in Galatians um, 6.17. Paul wrote, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I think we need to change our thinking, our attitude here tonight toward suffering and persecution. We can be fearful of it, so we compromise. We can not understand why we got to go through this. Yeah? And not understand, look, when you become a Christian, Things are going to change automatically. We've we, we got to understand that as citizens of heaven, we live differently. We have a different culture. We say things different, you know. Well, our values and laws are different. Our, we use different language, you know. Praise the Lord, you know. <laughs> Praying for you, you know. Trusting in God, you know. People of the world don't say that. So we got to understand that that's going to bring some attack upon us for following Jesus, for following his word and not participating in the same things that all oh, everyone else does. It's hard if you're the only one. We got to understand when we suffer hurtful words or when we suffer the painful situations, when, when we're facing shame for standing for Christ and not going along with the, 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 our peers, but we need to see all that for what it is that we have give, been given grace, the honor to suffer for Jesus. Ask yourself tonight, am I willing 
to go through and suffer persecution for Jesus. Ask yourself this, when my loyalty to Jesus is tested, what will I do? It's not easy, guys. But, no, you're not alone. You're not alone. There's Christians all over being persecuted. There's Christians in our own country and Christians in other countries going through the same thing. That you and I here in this very room, we, we have our own persecutions and our challenges where we need to stand firm for God. But we're going to stand together. And you know what? God will be there too and strengthen us. You're not alone. I want to say, let's be there for each other too, you know. As we all make that commitment to walk worthy of the gospel, let, let's all stand together and, and go with each other all the way, all the way. And I tell you, when we do that individually and then together, nothing can come against us, you know. No one can do nothing, anything. To us. Let me close with this. This is an actual ancient document, this letter, and it was written by Pliny, or, uh, a Roman governor in Asia Minor, which is the northern Turkey. And he actually is writing to Emperor Trajan in uh, 112 AD. And he's asking for some advice. And in this letter, in the middle of this letter, he explains the situation with these Christians. He doesn't know what to do with them. And he, he, he writes about on one occasion when he threatened this believer saying, I will banish you. And the Christian replies, you cannot, for all the world is my father's house. Then a governor says, then I will slay you. The Christian replies, you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ in God. Then this Roman official says, I will take away all your possessions. You cannot, the believer says. For my treasure is in heaven. So in frustration, Pliny th threatens him, says, I will drive away from man, and you shall have no friend left. And then the calm reply from the believers was, he was standing firm, and he said, You cannot, for I have an unseen friend from whom you are not able to separate me from. How powerful is that? He knew who he was. He knew who God was. He knew who Jesus is. He knew... Where his home was. No matter what this governor, powerful governor, could do to him or say to him, he has Jesus, yeah? He has a future with the Lord. So what can a powerful Roman governor do with someone like that? Nothing. What can the enemy of our souls do with those who are willing to honor Jesus in their suffering? Nothing. What can stop believers who join together to shine the light of the gospel? Nothing. So you see why it's so important that in this earth, as we live on this earth, as we live this life on this earth, that we truly live like we belong to heaven. Do you see how important it is for you and me to act like a citizen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Paul's letter here. And as it speaks to us, God, as it motivates us, God, as it stirs us up, Lord, to stand together, God, to stay consistent, Lord, to suffer bravely 
for you, Jesus. You have done so much for us. Lord, I pray that you would give us Holy Spirit courage and boldness, Lord, when we are faced with those choices, God. When we are right in front of people who may be drawing us away to compromise, Lord, help us to stand for you, God, to stay consistent to who we are as citizens of heaven. And even if we suffer persecution, Lord, may we suffer bravely and know that you are with us and many have gone through the same thing. So, Lord, I pray right now over us that you would strengthen, that you would put a resolve in our hearts. And even as we worship you, God, I ask that we would sense your presence, Lord. That we would focus in on you and who you are. That we would put our allegiance, Lord, to you, our King, the King of God's kingdom that we belong to now, whom we serve. And God, may our customs be for you now, Lord. May our culture be a culture of being Christians, Lord. And may we not be ashamed about it, but may we, with all loyalty, God, all submission and, and commitment to you, live as we should. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.